What's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday. And before we get rolling into today's show, I want to take a quick moment to talk about coffee. That's right, coffee. The Lions of Liberty, we have partnered up with Anarcho Coffee, and we are selling our very own coffee. It's called the Morning Roar. It is a medium dark roast that has cupping notes of lemon lime, caramel, black pepper, and brown sugar. It is delicious. You can pick up some of this coffee by going to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. We have a way there on your first purchase. You can get 10% off, but if you join the Pride for $10 and up, you can actually get more than that. You can get 15% off every single order. Buy some coffee support the Lions of Liberty, support another great libertarian company as well. Everybody wins. Lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers. Welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday, it's the show where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. And I do this a couple different ways. There's a couple different show formats. Uh, This week's format, I'm going to be talking to a formerly incarcerated felon, someone who's been through the system, has come out the other side, and she is going to share her experience. And it is a, it's just a fantastic conversation. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this week's episode. Before we get to that, just want to let you guys know, if this is your first time here in the show, we get new listeners every single week. We have new people tuning in. So I want to let you guys know, Felony Friday is one show. On the Lions of Liberty podcast, we have two other shows. We start every week with a show on Monday, a show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program and our flagship program. And on that program, Mark interviews leaders in the libertarian movement. Um, He hosts roundtable discussions. Of course, now we have roundtable discussions um, throughout our programming on Monday with Mark's show, on Wednesday with Brian's show, Electric Liberty Land, which is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And we also have roundtable shows on Felony Friday. We had one last week where I had a behind-the-prison-walls roundtable show where I brought on prison consultant and a uh, former prison guard. It was a great show. So be sure to check that out. If you missed it last week, just flip on back in your, uh, your podcast feed and listen up. And to make sure you don't miss any of these episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever the heck you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube. Also, lion, or uh, youtube.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can check us out there. Uh, today's episode, there's no video on the YouTube, but you can still uh, listen on the YouTube if you're into that kind of crazy stuff. I know people, you know, a lot of people wonder, like, why, why are people listening to podcasts on YouTube? The reason people do it is there's people who cannot bring their cell phones into work, from what I understand, so they listen to podcasts through YouTube. So we're happy to continue to give you guys access to this content on the YouTube. I've been rambling long enough. Let's get rolling into today's show. The show notes page is at lionsofliberty.com slash FF173. Let's get it started. 
My guest today on Felony Friday is Sarah Pinnell. Sarah was recently released from prison after serving 15 years. Uh, She was serving time for felony possession of a firearm and possession of crack cocaine. Uh, She actually got out due to the First Step Act, but unfortunately, it only took about three weeks off of her sentence. But uh, she's out now, and she's here to share her story. Sarah, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could be here and, you know, get my story out. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, especially so so quickly after uh, after getting out. So when did you exactly get released from prison again? I got released April 4th. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's a couple weeks ago. Today was actually the day, yes. Today is my day that I was supposed to get out. So what – wow, that's that's crazy. Um, yeah. So did you have today, you know, when you were in prison, I guess you'll never forget April 25th, that, how long did you know that this was supposed to be the day you, that you were going to get out? I knew for about nine months prior to. Mm-hmm. I had received my halfway house date uh, shortly after I uh, arrived in Tallahassee, Florida at the FCI there. Okay. And I received my release date then. And um, three weeks ago, I got called in the case manager's office early one morning and told that I would be leaving the next week. Was that a complete shock or were you expecting it or? No, it was a complete shock. I had no idea. I did file the paperwork requesting an earlier release on the First Step Act, but I filed so many things over the years that I was just, you know, under the impression that it probably isn't going to happen. So I wasn't going to get myself psyched up for it. And out of the blue, they came and said, hey, you need to get your stuff ready because you'll be going home next week. Well, glad that you're out, glad that you're home and uh, that you can share your story here. So let's uh, let's sort of get into it. And, you know, really the first question I like to ask my guests just to give, help the audience sort of understand um, your background and really what you've been through is starting really at the beginning. If you could just share um, just some details about your life, things like maybe where you grew up, sort of what, what your early life was like before, uh, before you got in trouble and, uh, actually, and actually, uh, got convicted. Okay. Well, um, I'm 41 years old now. I, uh, grew up in Lewisburg, Tennessee for the most part, but up until the time I was 13 or 14, my, um, uh, father was with a rock and roll band. He was a roadie for Leonard Skinner and 38 Special. So me and my mother traveled a lot with them. I had a pretty wild upbringing. This was back in the days when the rock and rollers still did drugs and party all the time. So I came up seeing a whole lot of things in my life. I got wow, that's, that's that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what, what age were you up. what age were you during that time period? From the time I was probably about two or three on up, two or three on up. So, so you're yeah. traveling on a on the road with a band when you're two or three years old. What, what's your? Do you have any uh, memories? Of, like, what's your first memory of of being on tour? Oh, my first memory is being backstage at a thirty eight special, and I'm pretty sure it was either Marshall Tucker or Molly Hatchet concert. And I tripped over a set of concrete steps 
and I busted my eye open. I still have a scar on my face where I cracked my eye open on a forklift. Ooh. Yeah, that's one of my earliest memories. Yeah, I guess that would that would make an impression for sure. Wow, sounds painful. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of uh pictures posted if you ever go to my um Facebook page. I've got a lot of pictures posted of my dad with the band and me with the band and old pictures and things like that. So um we it, that was my life up until Towards my teenage years, then me and my, my father went to prison and me and my mother settled down uh, around Lewisburg, Tennessee. And if you don't, if you don't mind, there, can, can you say what your father ahead. went to prison for? He's been to prison for multiple things. Okay. Multiple things throughout my life. It's been, um, he's a drug addict. So it's been um, just one thing after another. Mm-hmm. My mother was basically my backbone. She, um, she was definitely a mother. She guided me and taught me everything I knew about being a woman and everything I didn't want to do in my life that I ignored and did anyway. I was growing up as a, around a lot of rebellious people, I grew up to be a very rebellious child. And, you know, it ultimately led me down that road where rebellious kids eventually end up going if you don't straighten your life out. So. Right. So what was your, what was your earliest exposure to drugs? Oh, I don't remember a time where I ever wasn't exposed to drugs. Yeah. It's my whole life. My whole life. So it's always been there. It's, it was just normal to you for, for drugs to be around. It was just a reality. It was just a reality. Everyday living, it was normal. It was normal for people to get up and do drugs every day, which my mother never did, but with my father, you know, it was just a common occurrence. It, there's never a time that it wasn't there. Back from, I was born in 78, so back going through the 80s when people who did cocaine were shooting cocaine up until in the 90s when people who did cocaine were smoking crack and that's been his addiction my whole life. Okay. So, so you're growing up in a household. You're seeing your father using using drugs, and your and your mother not using drugs. And I'm assuming you you know your mother's steering you clear of drugs. So, was part of that rebellion into that drug culture of you know just rebelling against your mother's wishes? Do you think, or probably, probably had a lot to do with it probably played played a major major role in everything I did and you know I thought my dad was the coolest thing walking and I always said you know I'd never do any of the things he done and maybe ultimately it was just like I want to see why he does what he does so let me try this um this and that and um you know when I seen what it did what it does to people and it just it was, I was so far into living that drug life and it was horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Um, let's, let's turn the clock forward to, to your arrest. Uh, can, can you walk us through? 
Sure. Well, I guess first, yeah. was that your was that your first time arrested? Had you previously been in prison? Before? I had been arrested. Yes, I had. I had been through the prison system. Um, I had two aggravated burglaries and two thefts, and I did five years in the state prison. Well, I did all that. I did completed that whole sentence. I got out. I wasn't on any probation or parole. I was doing good. And um, I had been with this guy since I was about 15 years old. And he was, I just thought he hung the moon. He tried to give me everything in the world I wanted. And he was a drug dealer. And um, he tried everywhere in the world to steer me away from, you know, living the same life he did. But um, he was he was just like an all-around good guy with really fast money problems. He, he just had to have that fast money. And um, me and him were back together when I came home. And uh, he the, the he was on federal probation. And I was free and clear. The um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how the feds work, but when they come to get mass amounts of people, they'll come like, they have 10 people on one street living there and they want all 10 of them. They'll just come through and do a sweep and pick them all up at once. Well, somebody had gave us a heads up that, Hey, this is what's going on right now. So we left our home and we went to a motel. Okay. And, um, someone told the feds where we were. They came in over there and they came to the room where we were at and they came in and they found the drugs and the gun. Well, as I said, previously I was in state prison for the two aggravated burglaries and the two thefts. When it came time for my federal sentencing, they took those two aggravated burglaries and those two thefts, and they used them to make me a career offender. Now, I've had little small misdemeanor charges in my past, but it, there was nothing major that I'd ever done. Well... When they picked me up, they charged me as a career offender. There's a category level and a point level when you go to the feds that they used to finish you. There's a guideline level. They put me in a category six, which is the highest range you can get. It's the point level, I was a level 33, which is 188 to 235 months. They offered me a plea of 10 to life. So they told me the only way that they would not seek a life sentence is if I took the plea for the lower end that they offered me. I was under the impression that I was going to get 10 years when I went to court. Mm -hmm. Since that open range was there, the 188 to 235 months was there. The judge went back and sentenced me to 188 months. Now, the amount of drugs that we got caught with, and most people, it just blows their mind was 8.7 grams. It wasn't, um, it was nothing extreme. It was a very small amount of crack cocaine. And there was a pistol. They used this small amount of crack cocaine, which without the pistol, it would have been a misdemeanor charge. They took this and put it together, put me in the category six as a career offender, and gave me 15 years. So the, the pistol was, well, I, 
were you a you weren't a felon at the time, right? Or were you? Yes, I was a felon. You I were? was a felon okay. then. It was so after yeah, I had been to state prison. Yeah, that's right. So so felon possession of a firearm. Yeah. Gotcha. Um so if if the if you hadn't had a gun on you, you have any idea how much time you would have served just for the I would have drugs? served eleven twenty nine in the county jail. Eleven months, twenty nine days. Oh wow. That is yeah. so insane. So 14 years for having a firearm, essentially, right? That's what it comes years down to. and six months to the day. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. And, you know, we have one thing we talk about a lot on this show, and it's a little, I guess it's a little controversial, but, you know, I, personally, I think that anyone, once they get out of prison, um, they should have their rights restored to them. Obviously, I understand that that's not what happens. You don't get your right back, your rights back right. when you get out of prison. You're not fully restored. But it's never made sense to me on many levels um, that when somebody gets out of prison, they don't have, as a felon, they don't have the right to defend their own life, number one. That's the Second Amendment right taken away. Um, and the crazy thing is that if somebody did get out of prison and they wanted to do harm to someone else— what, nothing is stopping them from going and breaking the law again and obtaining an, uh, a gun illegally and carrying out a crime. So it's just this whole, the law is only there to make people feel good. And all they're doing is harming the people who want to want to get out of prison and will follow the law and won't get a firearm. And then they can't defend themselves. You're exactly right. I completely agree with you 100% because if I had to defend myself, it would not be, it would be humanly impossible. Mm-hmm. And now that all of this has happened, it's it's just so hard, John, when you come out, I can't tell you of the struggle that it's been just to find a job. The only job I'd ever really worked was um, while I was in prison. Because like I said, I had the boyfriend that was, adult boy and um i never really had to it wasn't really something that was pressed upon me so now that i'm out i went today to get a job i'm you know i'm have to be humble enough to be willing to work anywhere mm-hmm. i can't get a job at burger king because i'm overqualified because i worked while i was in prison as a phone what, operator. Okay, I was going to ask you what you worked as. So, a, a phone operator. Yeah. So, so what? What did that? Was that? So, you were coordinating the calls coming in and out for inmates, right? Or? Selling vacation packages, giving away magazines. Mm-hmm. I worked for four one one. So, I can't even get a part time job at Burger King because okay, they don't want to. They don't want to give anybody an opportunity who has never worked in that industry before. So. Now that I have this on my record, where do I start? I'm trying to rebuild. People come out here and they try to start over from the very bottom. And most of us, most people don't even have a start because they've never had to live a life that didn't involve crime. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's sad. It's sad. And even people who, uh, 
if they end up in prison and they don't, if they aren't well-versed in crime, you know, prison is a place where you yes. can get well-versed in crime. So people will come well, because out. Because I've seen accountants, doctors, lawyers, people who work in the nursing field that now that they've made this one mistake in their life, their, their career is completely gone down the, ra- the drain. No one will ever give them a chance again to be back in that field. So these mm-hmm. people who are super qualified to work amazing jobs now can't get those jobs. And like I said, you can't even get a menial job. Yeah, it's a, it's a big problem. And, you know, they, they call the, they call the, the act that got you out three weeks early, obviously the first step act. And I don't know when the, the next steps will come, if they will, I, I, I pray they will, but some of those steps have to be, um, equipping people like yourself um, either who have been released through the First Step Act and, and are already out or people who will be released soon and get, getting some some sort of training in place. And personally, I, I'm an advocate for, you know, private enterprise being able to come in and and train people with a criminal background in, in order in order to work just because they do it better than the government's going to do it. The government doesn't know what, what private companies need. The, the government isn't as up to speed with all the technology and, and everything that, that is being used in enterprise today. So oftentimes when you have these government programs that are implemented within prisons, they don't really do that much. They're not giving you the skills you need but when you, when you do return to, uh, to civilian life. And you're exactly right because these people are in there and they've never had to come out and work in an environment where people will have to go when they're released from prison. They've had these jobs working in these prisons for so long that they have no clue what it's like in the, in a real workforce where that is something that's going to be mandated for everyone that comes out. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful. I have a very understanding probation officer and, she knows that I'm working. She knows that I'm trying and she knows that I'm striving and she sees that and she sees the value in that. But for me as a person, I live in the house with grown people and I'm the only one not able to provide as well. They can't know what that does to someone. I'm sorry. There's no here. They can't know what that does to someone's psyche to come out and have to be cared for completely by everyone around you when you're physically able to go do everything yourself that these people do every day. Mm-hmm. But companies aren't willing to give you a chance because you're a convicted felon. Because you don't qualify for the skills that these jobs require. Yeah, it's it's something that it's it's gotta change. And I, I don't know exactly how we get there, but we've got to figure it out. Um, I I do want to go back real quickly to, you were talking about the jobs you had while in prison and you mentioned, you know, working for 411, 411's the the call before you dig. Is is that that what that is? Yes. So um, maybe you remember 10 years ago when it was, you just call in and you get the phone number that you want and you actually speak to someone. Maybe I'm thinking eight one one. Is eight one one called one of them? Is like if you're going to be digging around your property. Um, oh yeah, I, I think it must that be eight one four one one is where you call for information. So when you I, want a phone number. Okay, so how how much did you get paid for that? Can you say? Uh yeah, about um, at the most fifty cents an hour. 
at the most. See, that, that that's another thing that I, I think most people don't understand that's going on, um, or maybe they do and they're okay with it. But that is essentially slave labor using, I mean, exactly. using prisoners in that form, paying fifty cents an hour, paying nothing. Um, how do you how do you expect someone who's locked away in prison to you know gain the confidence to to actually feel rewarded, to feel worthwhile, to feel fulfilled for the work that they're doing that that you were doing when you were in prison, working hard, I'm sure. And you're, oh, here's here's 50 cents. Here's 50 cents. It's all right. Here's your 50 cents. What, what they would normally pay somebody 14 or $15 an hour to do out here. Here's your 50 cents for the day. Mm -hmm. It it is slave labor. And you're absolutely right. You're hitting on a hundred right there, man. Once you got out of prison, um, you know, I, I understand the, the struggles that you're dealing with on finding find a place to work and you're staying with family now, I guess. Yeah. My mother and my aunt and my aunt's daughter. That's another of the, uh, the biggest struggles. If people get out and don't have family, then, um, that's, yeah. they're out of, they're out of luck. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a terrible situation. If it was somebody, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have people to come home to and then my um case manager he wanted me to go to a homeless shelter i said but i'm not homeless he said well we don't think um we think since their your family has dogs in the house that that's going to be a problem what? I said, but i'm not homeless i'm not homeless i'm not homeless and wait they be- feel- because because your family has dogs Yes, because they have dogs. What, they, what, were worried you, that, they were worried that the probation officer was going to have an issue with it. And she was here this morning. But, you know, they come by randomly. She came by and did her drug test stuff. And she said it was never an issue. That was the, the people in the prison pushing that. So you have people in there trying to send people to homeless shelters who aren't even, who doesn't meet the qualifications of homeless. So they're sending that's, people that's, this out. Is just, this, is blow, this is blowing my mind. I I don't know. What would be the reason why dogs would would be a problem? I'm just not. Maybe they I'm were worried something. that the probation officer would have a problem with the dogs. And she said, "No, not at all. It's okay. not an issue." She said, "I didn't want it you to come on home confinement, and um, you be there, and me have to do more home visits." But I completely approved your home plan. I told him mm-hmm. over and over that you were able to come home. And he still tried to press upon me that I had to go to a homeless shelter. Like I don't I've never seen anything like that in my life. You're trying to press you're trying to make people go to homeless shelters. Those are for people who are homeless. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's a great point because you're then you're taking resources away from somebody who yeah. actually needs the homeless shelter who doesn't have any place to go. So that's and there's that's just, so many homeless people in this world. There's so many. Mm-hmm. I see it so much, especially down like I'm in a big city. So especially here, there's so many homeless people. Why would you try to take someone with a home and put them in that situation? That's that's crazy. Um, I, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about your 
your time in prison, if, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, 15 years in prison, that's, that's a long time. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you know, making your way through that sentence, um, you know, was it a sort of a loaded question, I guess, but did, did it get easier over time? What, what sort of, you know, what sort of ways or what, what sort of mindset did you use in order to work through that time you were spending in prison? Well, John, I, I had to get my mind to where I didn't think about the end of the time every day. When I first went in, the only thing I could think about was getting out. When I finally truly did see that that wasn't going to happen anytime soon, I focused on going day by day making it through the day just one day at a time because focusing on what's going to happen 10 or 15 years from now, it would have drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. So I just had to train myself to where I wouldn't think about 10 years from now, 15 years from now, because I always held on to the hope that something's going to go through and something's going to help me. But when they put the career offender on me, it completely prevented me from being eligible for anything. I've seen people come in. Like I said, the drugs that I had were 8.7 grams. I've seen people come in with 20, 30, 40, 50 grams, same charge as mine, but they didn't have that career offender status. I had the two burglaries from when I was 21 years old, from when I was a dumb kid making bad mistakes. And they put that career offender status on me, and it completely prevented me from getting any relief anywhere. That in itself was a struggle. To see so many people come and go, the revolving door of people that come and go who have worse charges than mine, people who kill people that had less time than me, people who rape people that got less time than me. People, people who kill people got less time? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I've seen it so much that I just had to finally just focus myself on only what's going to happen today because anything else would have killed me inside. You know, that's, I mean, I know it's, it's very different, uh, but you know, saying going day by day, that's good advice for really any part of life any or anyone going through a struggle or even not going yeah. through a struggle, really. I think so often in this world, we get caught up in, in distractions, different things going on. Um, you know, a lot of us are attached to our cell phones and, you know, every time we're looking at the news or at our Facebook or Instagram or whatever, we're, we're seeing some sort of crazy thing that's happening somewhere and that takes our attention away, away from, you know, li- living our life. Like you just said, focusing on that day, where you are right there, where your feet are. So I, I think that's that's great advice for for anyone who's uh, really just trying to, just trying to make it through this life. It really is because, I mean... Just an example for out here. If I had a picnic I had to go to next weekend and I didn't know what I was going to wear and I sit and I focused on that every day, mm-hmm. I would be worried about next weekend all the way until next weekend got here. Mm-hmm. That's where if I just said, okay, whatever I choose to do that day, that's what I'm going to choose that day because I can't change it today. 
There's nothing I can do about it right now. You know, I just had to focus on now. The now is what's here. What happens in five, ten years, two weeks from now, there's nothing I can do to change that. Mm-hmm. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So when you look back on your time in prison, and I know we, we talked about, obviously, the just now, just t- taking it a, d- a day at a time, but a- outside mm-hmm. of that, say somebody's listening to this podcast right now, maybe it's a, a mother of somebody and they have a, a son or daughter in prison, or, or maybe maybe it's somebody who is caught up in something and might be, m- might be doing some prison time soon themselves. What, what sort of advice would you give to someone in that situation? I would just have to truly and honestly say to, you know, always be aware of your surroundings, be aware of who you're with and what they're doing. What the next person is doing can cost you your life. You always have to be careful and you always have to think before you act. Fast money now is not fast money in the future. The same way things come are the same way they go. If it's coming easy, it will go just the same way. If you are in this situation and you're facing time, any amount, if you have a loved one that's facing time, the only thing that's going to get you or them through it is support and love. Never let go of your faith. If you believe in God, if you believe in Allah, if you're Buddhist, whatever your religion is, just know that there's something bigger than you out there that can carry you through everything you're going through. If you're facing time, it will go by faster than what you think. Routine is pertinent in everything you do. Focus your mind on the future and keeping your life as much together as you can, because at any minute it can be over at any given time. Make sure you tell your family that you love them. Every time you talk to them, never fail to say those words. Most people are proud and they don't say it enough. Never be too proud to say those things because you never know when you're here and then when you're gone, whether it be prison, whether it be death, institutions, it can happen at any time. The same way getting in trouble can happen at any time. The feds do not discriminate. Once you're in there, it's their world and you no longer have any control over anything to do with yourself. They tell you when to use the bathroom. They tell you when to eat, when to go to sleep, where to work. It's real. It's really real. Mothers, guard your daughters. Fathers, guard your sons. Lead them in the right direction because if not, they're going to go the wrong way. We need family. We need love out here. And we just need more influences that will guide you in the right way. I hope everybody or anybody who hears this just takes it to heart and just knows that it's really, really real. And it's even more real when you come out and you have to start all the way over. It's real. Man, there's, there's not much I can say to follow that up. That was profound. Thank you for that. You're welcome, John. And just, just one last question um, on, I guess on a, on a lighter note, I think. Okay. Um, when you got out, what was the, you know, what was the first thing that you really wanted to to do when you got out? Be it was it uh, 
was there a meal you were looking forward to having a you know a certain you know a family member that that you were really looking forward to seeing was there something that that you were really that you one of the first things you were able to do once you got out that, that really made you feel good I guess it was when I got off the bus and I seen my mother when I seen her standing there with my aunt and my cousin and they just welcomed me with open arms and not feeling that feeling for so long just the love that they showered on me was mind-blowing. Being gone for so long and then just having them wrap their arms around me next to walking out of prison and kissing the ground, that was the best thing I've probably experienced in the last 15 years of my life. That's amazing. You know, I'm sure the listeners listening to this right now uh, can, can sort of picture that scenario playing out and you know, I've, I've seen videos of uh, countless prisoners when they get out being reunited with their families and it always makes me so emotional because you see the pain on both sides and uh, you know I've never been to prison myself but uh, but I've I've seen and I've had a loved one on on, on the other side and um I'm sorry to hear that there's there's you know, obviously, there's there's pain, there's sacrifice on, on both sides. Obviously, you know what what you went through in prison is very different from what the family members and friends and loved ones experience on the outside. But that that Honestly, is such John, a. John, I think it's probably harder on them out here. You think so? I think it probably is. I know my mother has gone through hell. I you know I, I think for a a mother or a father, especially for that for that relationship. I, I could see that. I could definitely, definitely agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, thank Sarah, you. I just want to thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show and, and sharing your story. I want to give a, a shout out and a thank you to Malik King. Um, you know, he Absolutely. always, that's yeah. a man, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. He's so, amazing. So did you, uh, did you correspond with, with Malik when, when you were in prison? I did. We video visited. He, um, cards and pictures and he's just such an uplifting person he's amazing he's amazing he is one of the hardest maybe the hardest working person in the criminal justice movement um and and nobody knows about him and all he does is just uh, there's there's so many people that he's impacted he has he's amazing thank you so much for coming on the show just give you uh you know, it's another another minute or so here. If you anything else you you want to say or, or anybody you wanna you wanna speak to. All right. I just um I wanna say I know probably nobody on the inside is gonna hear this, but maybe somebody if you have somebody inside, I give all the shout outs to everybody that's still locked behind those walls. We're fighting for you guys out here. I just you know, it takes a while, it takes a village. It really does take a village. So all my sisters who are still there, I love you guys. I miss you. To everybody fighting for prison reform, for criminal injustice, keep up the fight because we need people like you. Without people like you, nothing's ever going to change. I appreciate everything that you guys do. Malik King, you are freaking awesome, dude. Keep up the fight. If there's ever any way, you too, John, if there's ever any way, you need anybody to reach out? Anything. You just let me know. And I love you guys. I appreciate all that you do. 
and I'm here. I'm home. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm sitting here eating ribs and (laughs) macaroni and cheese and salad with my mom. It's a beautiful thing. I'm here for my cousin. She had surgery today. Bless her heart. And my auntie is here. It's just an amazing life. Even the struggle is beautiful. I appreciate your time, John. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you so much, Sarah. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at WeAreLibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel, and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about, and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at WeAreLibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. Want to thank Sarah Pinnell for coming on today's show. Man, what a story. What just incredible, just sharing from the heart at the end there. It's just Sarah, I just love her her personality, you know, and just the wisdom, just free flowing from her. That was just uh, fantastic at the end. Inspirational stuff. If anyone out there listening today is facing going to prison or has a loved one going to prison, hopefully you heard what you needed to today because that was, uh, you know, there's nothing I can add to it. So I'm not even going to try to. I'm not going to add anything else this episode. I'm just going to leave it stand. just want to thank Sarah once again for coming on today's episode. And also, of course, thank Malik King for making this all happen. Uh, For those of you who don't know, a little behind the scenes, Malik King, he's been on the show a couple times. Uh, Malik's background, he's very involved in the criminal justice reform movement. And I mean, really, it's uh, the criminal justice communication movement. Uh, Malik King works with Amy Pova with the Can Do Foundation and really uh, communicates and uh, motivates and inspires and really just uh, pours out love to uh, individuals who are who are spending time in prison, and Malik is just a great guy, and he has been kind enough to really help me to to find you know the right people who needed to come on this show and share their story, um, stories that really just just are powerful and and need to be told. And I you know I can't really 
put into words how much it means to me for Malik to, uh, you know, really just continue to reach out to and find great people uh, to uh, to bring on the show. And then I, you know, I'm just here, just like given a platform. You know, I'm. I, <laughs> I feel like half the time I'm so grateful that I'm able to host this show, but I, I feel like I'm I'm just here. Uh, hosting hosting the show and uh, giving people a platform and uh, i just want to give malik uh the credit for finding such great guests you know i just want to remind you guys uh before i let you go i talked about the top at the top of the show about that we have uh the morning roar coffee you can get that lions of slash coffee of course one of our perks you can get more of a discount 15 percent off by joining the lions of liberty pride at $10 or up, the Lions of Liberty Pride, all kinds of perks, all kinds of great stuff. But you know the coolest thing about the Pride is, is you are supporting a show where myself and Mark and Brian, um, we don't get paid for this, man. We are just, we're doing this out of the, I don't know, maybe we're just, <laughs> maybe we're nuts, but we're doing this out of the kindness of our heart to get this message out of peace and liberty and of uh you know, really fairness and of a, a society where people, where there's equality under the law and, and people are, are treated right, where individuals have, have liberty. So that's, that's our mission here at Lions of Liberty. If you believe in that, you know, we have different formats. Like I talked about at the top, Mark's doing more of a uh, zeroing in on the academic side and uh, bringing on more of the uh, leaders in the liberty movement. Brian's show is more culturally and current events focused. He does bring on guests from time to time. And there's great conversations on Brian's show. My show's criminal justice system. We're exposing problems with the system. We're highlighting inspirational stories within the system. You know, this program, Lions of Liberty, has become just larger than we could ever imagine. And we would be so grateful if you would, in a small way, just five, ten, whatever, fifteen dollars a month, if you would join us on this ride, because we're having a great time, and uh, would love for you to come along with us. So go to Patreon.com/slash Lions of Liberty and check it out. If you want to uh, get some free stuff, get some bonus content, and jump on the Lions of Liberty Pride train. That's all I got, guys. And I'm going to sign off now. This is John Odermatt. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.